so uh, we've been going through this series called uh, New Creation. We've been looking at what does this really mean to be a new creation. We've been diving into this. And think about that. Just, I mean, seriously, just those two words, the fact that God calls you a new creation, that literally there's something new and unique and different that's going on in your life because of what God has done. So it's a mind-blowing concept. It's a big thing, but it's also a practical thing. And uh, so this series, we've been running through all this kind of stuff. We're like, what does that really mean to be a new creation? We've talked about how God is giving us a new heart. We talked about how God is in this process of renewing our minds, how he's, he's changing the way that we think. We've talked about how God's given us a new mission in life, that we are literally to be those who are reconciling the world. We're bringing the world back to God. We're bringing the world back together. I mean, God's given us this incredible mission. I mean, all this stuff is incredibly awesome stuff. But what I want to talk about today is not the big concept. I want to talk about how do we walk this out? Like, now that we know that we're new creations, now that we've understood what the Bible talks about when it says new creation, now that God's doing this spiritual renewal in us, this process in us, how do we walk it out? I mean, how do we live this thing? Uh, you know, now that we've trusted God, uh, now that we know this is what the Bible teaches us about, it's, what does that really look like? And so the question I have is this, is when you look in the mirror, what do you see? When you look at yourself, when you look at a reflection of your life, do you see a new creation looking back at you? Or do we tend to see the old self. Now, I got to be honest with you, I'm getting older. I don't know if you've noticed. I've gotten older since I met you. <laughs> and it's hard not to look in the mirror and see myself getting older, right? There was the other day I saw a picture of myself and I was like, who is that guy? Because my mental image is not the image of that guy. When I think of myself, I think of myself maybe like much 10, 15 years younger than I actually am. But then every once in a while I see myself, I'm like, wow, yeah, I got my hair cut the other day. And I went in there and, and I'm looking down, you know, at the, the what, what did they put on you? That robe? I don't know what that thing's called. But I'm looking down and all I see are gray hairs all over the thing and all over the floor. And I'm thinking to myself, whose hair is that? <laughs> Like, it's certainly not mine, right? But you see, this idea that we're becoming new creations even as we age. Like, somehow God is renewing us and making us into a new person, even though our physical bodies are becoming more old. Uh, maybe we're becoming wiser in the process, but somehow God is doing something new in us even as we're aging. And so when we look in the mirror, do you see a new person looking back at yourself? Do you see this truth reflected in who you are and how you live? And, and uh, sometimes it's hard to see those things. Sometimes it's hard to see that new creation in you. But I got an even deeper question. Uh, what about the people who are closest to you? What about the people who are just right up in your life? I mean, we're talking about your spouses. We're talking about your children. We're talking about the people that you're doing life with. I wonder if you were to ask them that question. Do they see the new creation in you? 
Are there things that they are seeing that are coming out of your life, the way that you, you treat them, the way that you respond to adversity, the way you handle situations where, you know, you could either blow up or you could forgive and you could move on? Or, I mean, are they seeing the love and the grace and the generosity of Christ coming out in you? Are they seeing this new creation in your life? That's a tough question, isn't it? Probably one most of us don't want an answer to. Like seriously, if you were to give your, your significant other a survey and to say, you know, are, really, is this stuff coming out in your life? Is this what I'm seeing uh, when I'm at home? Is this what I'm seeing when we're at work? Is this what I'm seeing when we're hanging out? I mean, are we becoming this new creation that God talks about? How do we walk this stuff out? How do we bring some of this petty, new creation, theology, Bible teaching stuff from, from just being heady stuff and walk it out in our real lives? We talked about this the first week, that we are actually called the righteousness of God. How do we begin doing more right things now that we're righteous? How do we become this person that God says we already are? It's a tough question, isn't it? I'll give you all those answers in 20 minutes or less. <laughs> I wish I could. But there is this Bible word called sanctification. And it's a word that's used in the Bible a lot. And it's, it, there's so much to what this word is. You know, this idea of we're becoming more and more sanctified. What does that word sanctified mean? It literally means set apart. It literally means that we've, we've become more specified, that, we, that we're actually becoming a different person. We've been set apart for a different purpose. Like we had this one purpose, this is what we used to be, this is what we, you know, how we were before, but now we're becoming sanctified. We're becoming different and for a higher purpose. And so uh, as I was thinking about how do I define sanctification, how do I take this big theological, biblical word and bring it down home, I found the best definition that I could find it's actually in the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's in the Shorter Catechism. It's question number 35. And it says this, Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God. So it's this process that happens by God's free grace, the grace that comes to us, not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it, not because we've, you know, we've, we've, we've done all these things and now we can check off the boxes and God's going to do this in us because we've become more obedient. It's a gift. That's what grace is. Grace is a gift. Grace is not earned. Grace is not something you get as, as payment for, for working hard. It's a gift. It's the free grace that God does in us by renewing us, making us new, and moving us closer and closer to be that image of God that we were created to be. You see, each of us, God worked in us. He formed in us to create an image that would reflect Him, that would reflect His glory. And so when we talk about sanctification, it's when we become more and more like that image that God had in us, that, that beautiful picture that He had in us when He was making us. Now, look, look how this process works. We are enabled, empowered would be another good word. We, we have the ability to. We are enabled more and more to die to sin and live unto righteousness. This is a great definition of this process that happens. 
And the, the thing is this, you know, when we do look at ourselves in the mirror and we do do some self-evaluation, sometimes it's hard to see the process. Did anybody have this in their home when they were growing up? Did, you, did your parents measure your height as you were, as you were growing up? And some of you, maybe uh, you, you grew up in the same home and, uh, and, and uh, there was a doorway that you always stood against and your, and your parents would say, all right, it's your birthday today. Uh, we're going we're gonna to draw, draw how tall you are today. Uh, you know, and then did anybody have that? I, I got to know, okay, a few people, you guys had this, but you know exactly what I'm talking about, even if you don't get it. But the thing is, you never recognize that you're growing when you're growing. Like, like you, don't, you don't look in the mirror and go, oh, I'm an inch taller. I mean, it's hard. You know, I, well, I might look in the mirror and go, I'm an inch wider uh, <laughs> since Christmas. That might be a pretty easy one. But, but you know, the thing is this, like, even if your kids, you, you, if you're parents and you watch your kids, sometimes it's impossible for you to see the growth. But then when you, when you put them up there and then you measure them, you say, well, this is where you were a year ago. And this is where you are this year. Uh, you can see that sometimes our kids have these growth spurts. I mean, maybe they're, they're like two or three inches taller. And, and you realize it because you were putting a lot more groceries into them. But you didn't realize that that was actually equaling, you know, a growth in height. And spiritual growth sometimes is the same thing. You may be in the middle of your life and you'd be going, I'm still struggling with this. I still have a hard time with this. I'm not, I don't feel like I'm getting any better. And it's frustrating. The problem is we don't have that spiritual metric. I wish we had a spiritual growth tool that we could like just kind of say, hey, guess what? Man, I'm a, I'm, I'm a little more forgiving than I was a year ago. I, I'm, a, I'm a little bit better person than I was, you know, three years ago or five years ago. It's kind of hard to see those kinds of things. But this growth we have to trust by faith is happening. And it's happening because of God's grace and God's grace that enters in us. And, and, and it allows us to be renewed and to grow and to, to more and more turn from sin, but live to doing right things and becoming righteous. And it's a process that God is working in us. So uh, I'm going to dive into a book of the Bible called uh, Romans. And we're going to look at Romans chapter 6. So some of you bring your Bibles. Let's go to Romans chapter 6. We're going to jump in at verse 1. And I, I want to read this verse because in this passage, I really think Paul is sort of getting at what does this process look like? What, what has happened spiritually in our lives? And then how do we walk this out? So let's look at verse 1. And he says this, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Like this idea, yeah, that now that we're new, now that this thing has happened in our lives, do we just continue doing the things the way we used to do them? Do we still live to those old patterns? Do we still make decisions in the same way? Or are we the same person that we used to be? And Paul is saying this, what? By no means. In the NIV, it actually gets an exclamation point. Did you notice that? So that's why I said it like that. By no means. So you kind of got it, right? By no means should we live that way. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Now, I want to put this in the language that we've been using in the last three weeks. Now that we are new creations, we should no longer live as old creations. And what I want to get at here is this, is that change is possible. 
Those of you who may feel like you're so buried into your habits, those of you who may feel like you're still struggling with some of the same things that you were struggling with 20 years ago, guess what? I'm going to give you some good news this morning. Change is possible. You can become this new creation. Look at what it's, uh, the other thing we talked about two weeks ago. We talked about the idea of putting off the old self. Like we, like it's almost like we're changing clothes. We're taking off those old dirty clothes. We're taking off that old, that old jumpsuit with the mud and the grit. And we're putting it aside. He says, put off the old self so that you can do what? Put on the new. That's the language we've been talking about. It's the same thing. And then here we see now that we have died to sin, it's time to live for God. Now you're like, wait a minute, died to sin? We haven't gotten to that yet. Right. We're diving. This is what we're doing today. Let's look at this. Died to sin? What does that mean? We've died to sin. Well, Paul here is about to go pretty deep. Um, I remember when I was a kid, and I was, I, I was not a great swimmer yet. I, I love to swim now. I mean, I, I, I love it. But I was, but I, but I was in the shallows. <laughs> and then there's, there, they had this, this, this rope went across the pool. You guys remember the rope? The cross? Some of you guys don't have that in your pools, but you should. Because like, what happens at the rope? Now you're moving into the, to the deep stuff, and you want to make sure that we're going, in, as we're going to this deep stuff, I want you not to, not, to, not to lose this, because Paul's got some important stuff that he wants to learn. So we're, I'm just, but I'm warning you, we're about to swim in the deep. You guys ready? And when I talk about the deep, what Paul's going to do is this. He's going to talk about something spiritually that was happening while Jesus was physically going to the cross. So if you've ever wondered, what's Easter about? When I was a kid, I loved Christmas. I mean, for obvious reasons. But I always kind of wondered, what was Easter about? Like, what, what was the crucifixion about? What was the resurrection about? Paul is going to give us the spiritual insight, like the behind-the-scenes uh, stuff that God was doing spiritually while Jesus was dying physically. And he's also going to do some time travel here for us. He's going he's to show us how we were actually spiritually with Jesus in that moment. You're like, well, I, I'm living in what? Where are we, what are we in now? It's 2024, Right? But when Jesus was crucified in maybe 30 AD, something spiritually was happening that you were included in. Spiritually. Let's look at what Paul talks about. Verse 3 and 5. He starts with this. He says, don't you know that all of us were baptized? What? Okay, let's talk about baptism before we move on. <laughs> you guys ready? Let's pause the DVR. You okay with that? Uh, I'll read the rest of it. Just, you know how you, like, I, I do this to my wife all the time and she hates it. Like, we're watching a historical movie and it's, it's about something that was supposed to happen like World War II or, or whatever, you know, we're watching it. And I, I like, as we were watching it, we're into the movie, we're into the scene and then like, I'll just pause it. And she's like, what? It says, I got to look this up on Google. Does this really happen? Uh, you know? <laughs> and she's like, just play the movie. <laughs> Do you guys ever, I'm going to pause just a moment to talk about baptism. So, uh, so, so pause the DVR, we're talking about baptism. So when Paul's talking about baptism right here, he's really speaking about a spiritual baptism. Okay? He's speaking about what we talk about happens when someone comes to faith in Christ. We believe that when you put your faith in Christ, when you trust him as your Lord and Savior, that God's Holy Spirit baptizes you. 
That you are what we call baptized in the Holy Spirit. That there's a spiritual reality that takes place. That you, you are literally like just the same idea that you, you were put underneath the waters. The baptism of the Holy Spirit comes over you and it begins to produce this new person in you. So this is where the transformation takes place. Like you were the old person. You put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. Like it's, it's just poured all over you. It's just soaked all over you. It marinates into you. And then that Holy Spirit baptism changes you. So when you come out of that, guess what? You are transformed into a new person. So Paul's talking about this spiritual reality. He's not talking about the physical water that's put on people. Now, the physical water, it's important. We, ha- we had a baptism here just a few weeks ago, if you're here with us. Why is it important? Because it's a physical symbol of what took place spiritually. It's a way to show that, hey, this happened in someone's life. It's a way to identify with Jesus. It's a, it's a sign that points to a spiritual reality. Let me give you an example of that. Um, I actually started, you guys may have remembered or not remember. I used to wear this rubber ring, but um, I decided I would put my actual wedding band on um, a few weeks ago. I don't know why. It just sometimes, you know, like, I like to wear this one. And, and this is the one that Jan um, actually gave me when, when we got married. It was pretty cool, right? Like we were up there and, and I said, I do. She said, I do. I, I, it's on, I, I'm pretty sure there were witnesses. Um, and in that moment, she gave me this ring. Now this ring is not my marriage. It's not my marriage. Like, if I took this, this ring off, I would still be married. Like, the, the commitment that we made to each other is real. It's lasting. It's going to, it's perpetual. You know, it's, it's, it's something, I have friends that were there. They, they testify to it. The marriage is real. The, the marriage has been this 24-year uh, thing that we've been doing together. That's the marriage. But what, what is this? It's a symbol of, of a bigger reality. It's a symbol of a commitment. It's a symbol of something that's gone on between us for all these years. It's a symbol. And, and in the same way, water baptism is meant to be a symbol that points to a spiritual reality that took place when you placed your faith in Christ. Does that make sense? Boy, that was a long DVR pause, wasn't it? Okay, well, let's get back to this stuff, and we're going we're gonna to run fast through some verses. So this is when we're, we're swimming in the deep. You ready? So when we were baptized, so don't you know all of us who were baptized into what? Into Christ Jesus. We were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism, so into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For we've been united with him in death, and we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection that is like his. So here's, here's what we're talking about. The spiritual thing that took place uh, when those of us who put our faith in Christ, it, that we were connected with Jesus when he died and connected with Jesus when he rose. Look, look at this verse. I'm going to I'm going to do this pattern a couple times. I'm going to read the verse, and then we're going to emphasize a couple phrases. So look at this. Verse, uh, same thing. Don't you know that you were baptized into Christ? You were baptized into his death. Like you participated in him dying, spiritually speaking. You were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised 
from the dead to the glory of the Father, we may what? Live a new life. So this spiritual thing that took place is now giving us ability to be different people, to live a new life, to be a different person. Let's keep going. Verse 6, for we know that our old self, that old person that we were, the one that was, that was trapped in these patterns of thinking and sinning, that old person was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. So we will no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who's died has been set free from sin. Again, let's go back to that verse. I'm going to emphasize some things. For we know that our what? Old self was crucified so that with him the body of sin could be done away with so that we will no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free. Like literally, spiritually speaking, we died to these old ways. We died to this pattern of sin now that we can be set free from it. Now verse 8. So if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he can't die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Death has died. He died to sin for once and for all so that he lives, he lives a life to God. What are the things to emphasize here? Let's look at it. We died with Christ so that we will live with him. And that sin would no longer have a mastery over him for he died to sin, but now he lives to God. So the same way that Christ died to the sins of us, now we get to live to God in the same way that Christ did. Now I want to dig into this next verse and then, and then uh, we'll move forward. Look at verse 11. In the same way in the same way that when Jesus' body was placed in a tomb, the same way that Jesus' body no longer had breath in it, that old self has been killed, it's been crucified, it's been buried. And, and, and then look what it says. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive in Christ Jesus. Here's where we walk it out. What does this word count mean? What, is it, what does it mean to count? Like the really... The, the definition of this word is this. Uh, it's to reckon, to count, to compute, to calculate, to infer, to consider, to take into account, to weigh, to meditate on, to suppose, to deem, to judge, to decide. I'm going to count with that first word. I love that first word, reckon. <laughs> I know that our church, we've done this survey before. We've got a lot of people who didn't really grow up in the South. I just got to be honest with you. Reckon is one of my favorite Southern words. <laughs> You're like, yeah, what's going on? Oh, I reckon. What, what does that mean? It means you're fixing to do something. Yeah, that's what reckon is. Like, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm you know, what, what are you doing? I'm, I'm reckon, I'm reckon to do that. You know, I mean, it's, like, it's, 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 so those of you who aren't Southern, I think you can, we could allow you to incorporate this word into your vocabulary if you want to. What does it mean, Reckon. It means reckon. It's like you, you have this intention. You have this belief. You, you are going to, to, to live out this new life. You reckon yourselves dead to sin. The word dead here, nekros, it literally means dead ones. You reckon yourselves dead ones to sin. And then the last word he talks about that I want to talk about is sin. This, this other Greek word, hamarta, it means to miss the mark, to be mistaken, to wander, to, to miss the righteousness. So it's like, okay, I, I, I now 
reckon ourselves to be dead ones to sin, living to God in Christ Jesus. So let me put it in, in full, full uh, North Carolina Southern translation. Here it goes. Maybe that's a Bible version I should create sometime. <laughs> the Gabe Swing way to, to read the Bible in Southern ease. Okay. He says this, reckon yourself a dead person when it comes to sin. Reckon yourself alive when it comes to Christ. Do you see where this verse is going? Figure out a way to realize that, that those things, those patterns, those old ways of thinking, the sin that you get involved with, just find a way to reckon yourself that that's just gone. I'm not going to live that way anymore. I'm not going to be that person anymore. That person that I used to be, it's gone. It's dead. It's a dead one. But I'm going to, every day when I get up, I'm going I'm to put that old self aside. I'm going to reckon him as dead. And then I'm going to step into this new thing. What is the new thing? Then I'm just, I'm going to be alive to Jesus. It's a completely different mindset. You see what Paul's calling us to? Realize that, that that stuff is dead. It's gone. It's crucified. But now you got an opportunity to be alive. Um, we're going to keep going. We're going to try to get through, through with this. Verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Do not let any part of yourself as sin be instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. I don't know who did this first. It wasn't Chick-fil-A. I think it was Wendy's. They had this TV commercial, and they were talking about what went into their chicken nuggets. Do you remember this? Uh, it was a commercial. They were, they, were, they were trying to say that their chicken nuggets were better than McDonald's chicken nuggets. Now, when the chicken nugget first came out, I got to admit, it, it was not that good. It was, like, it was like a chicken version of a fish stick. You know what I'm talking about? It was just like... And, 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 and then you, know, you would eat these chicken nuggets and they were like, yeah I, yeah, I guess there's chicken in there. I'm not really sure. It was like a mystery meat. I, I don't, and, and the thing that Wendy started talking about was this, oh, we're making chicken nuggets better. Uh, and the whole commercial was parts is, parts is parts. You remember this, this idea? Because they were inferring that McDonald's chicken nuggets were just made of the random chicken parts. You know, the things that you don't really want to eat. I mean, I don't know if like chicken's feet or beak. I don't know. Feathers. I don't know what they were putting in these nuggets. But, but Wendy started coming up with this idea. Oh, parts is parts. And they were saying McDonald's is just selling you parts. But now, Wendy's, what are we doing? We're giving you the good part, right? We're, we're giving you like the real white meat stuff. And, and, and then all of a sudden, Chick-fil-A came around and the whole argument became pointless. I mean, who's going to go to... Wendy's and get chicken nuggets now anyway. I mean, come on, right? We know that there's better things out there. But what I want to talk about in this verse is this, is it really does break down this idea that, um, that we can, in our lives, become compartmentalized. Like we say we're followers of Christ. We say we're following Christ. We say we're trying to be good in certain things. We're trying to be a better person. But then there's parts of our lives that aren't quite living up to that measure. There's parts of us that haven't quite caught up to, to this new reality. And we've become compartmentalized. And the problem, uh, you know, even psychology talks about how becoming compartmentalized can be such a problem. They say that being compartmentalization, which by the way, uh, if you're playing Scrabble, there's 20 letters in compartmentalization. 
<laughs> you could win the whole game with this one word, and you get to use a Z, which is cool. All right. Just remember that one when you're playing. Compartmentalization. It's a defense mechanism where people mentally separate conflicting thoughts, emotions, and experiences to avoid the discomfort of contradiction. Boy, man, does that describe us as Christians sometimes? I mean, we want to be lovers of God. We want to follow Jesus. We want to be more like him. But then there's just certain parts of our lives where it just, it just never seems to measure up. Like, like we just, we're just not quite there yet. So this idea of faith compartmentalization, what does that look like? Uh, I'm going to give you some examples, and we'll, we'll roll through this quickly. But, you know, you have, like, people who on Sunday morning, man, they're, like, just, they're here. They're fully engaged. I mean, they're singing the songs. I mean, they're totally here. They go to the Bible studies. They're totally there. But then, like, in another area of their life, they might be bitter or angry, or mean. Are they, are they truly genuine when they're here? Yeah, they're truly genuine when they're here. But then there's other parts of their lives that just, man, it's just, it's not there yet. This describes like someone who, who says, oh man, I, I, I love, my, love my spouse. I love, love my husband. I love my wife. But then in the right situation, they have an affair. Like, how does that make sense? And then you have maybe someone who's a very generous person, someone who's, who's giving. Like, man, they give to the church. They give to, like, these really worthy causes. But then, like, if you were to go and watch them in the business world, you would see that there's some things that they do that they're just not ethical or kind of shady. It's like, but, but they but they're, but they're, but they're, seem to be okay with that. It's like, it's okay to be this and then, then also to be this. They become compartmentalized. You have somebody who, who genuinely like, loves their family, loves their kids, wants the best for their family and their kids, but then, but then they just they, they, they drift into having like, abusive language and, or abusive behaviors. It's, it's like we're compartmentalized. Our parts are, are broken. But what is Paul calling for here? He's, he's not calling for us to be part-time Christians. We're, we're, we're Christians here, but we're not Christians there. He's saying, let's bring the parts together. Look at what he says in this passage here. He says this, but rather offer yourself to God. If those who've been brought from death to life, offer which parts of you? Every part of you to him as an instrument of righteousness. It's a transformation process. It's sanctification. So the, the, the NIV uses this term instruments. I'm so glad this is up here. Isn't this a beautiful instrument? I'm not going to drop it. <laughs> I, I love this. Olivia, thank you for playing. Where's Olivia? Olivia, thank you for playing this. I love it when we have this in worship. It's just so, it's so beautiful. I don't even, this looks like an expensive one. Is this expensive? It could be. Sorry, I'm not embarrassing. I'm sorry. <laughs> but but let's, let's, let's do this comparison real quickly, okay? I'm not even going to pick up the bow. I'm not even going to try. But if I were to, to, to try to play this instrument, you would say, please, do not. Like, do, do not, Gabe, put it down. Because it would, it would, the, the worst sounds possible would come out of this thing. And I, I do hear that learning to play the violin is probably one of the, the most excruciating things for your loved ones. 
It's, it sounds, it's, it's almost as bad as the drum kit, right? I mean, yeah. Uh, but anyway, it's like, it just sounds like dying cats is what I think. But then when you put this in the hand of someone like Olivia, I mean, she makes it sound beautiful, doesn't she? And what the Paul is saying here is put your instrument, put yourself, put your parts in the hand of God so that he can make beautiful music with you. Give him all your parts. Don't be fragmented. Don't be one part Christian and one part not. Say, I want to do something in your life that changes your life, that, that gives you a new way of living. I often think about characters in the Bible. Well, I mean, that's my job, right? <laughs> but I, I think about some characters in the Bible, a guy like Moses, right? One of the things that's interesting about, the, about Moses in the Bible is we literally get to, to read about his birth, and then we get to follow him along this whole faith journey. And the Bible records the death of Moses. Isn't that wild? I mean, Jonathan, you're a smart Bible guy. Moses lived over 100, didn't he? He was like over 100. Yeah, he must have been eating right. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> no chicken nuggets for him, right? But we fall him from his birth to his death. I, I love seeing that. But you know what's interesting? When we read the Bible, we only, it's in a few pages. A few pages we go from his birth. A few pages later, we're at his death. And, and we kind of we lose perspective on that. What's the perspective we lose? We lose perspective. We have this idea that Moses was always on the mountaintop. We have this perspective that Moses was always connected with God, that he was always on the spiritual high. But I want to I point out something to you, and this is important, and that is this. Moses, uh, he only saw one burning bush. Once. We read the story of David. We see a lot of his life. We see him as a young shepherd. We see him as, as an old king. We see the, the progression of his life. How many Goliaths did David slay? Read the story of the prophet Elijah. I mean, he was, he was a man. He was a godly man. Cool story. How many times did Elijah pray and fire fell from heaven? Do you guys, some of you guys know your Bible? How many times did it happen? Was that like every couple months? You think about the Apostle Paul. We're just reading the letters of the Apostle Paul. He had this amazing experience with Jesus. He was hit with a blinding light. He, that he was on the road to Damascus. They call it the Damascus experience where Jesus spoke to him. And he saw, how many times did that happen in Paul's life? Most of the Christian life, most of this faith life is lived out on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays, Thursdays, where there are no burning bushes, no fires from heaven, no Goliaths are slain, no uh, lights from heaven. Most of this stuff is walked out on a weekday, a Tuesday, at 11.33 a.m., and it's raining. Some of the time, let's say most of the time, this is where we have to bring faith. This is where we need courage. This is where we need endurance. This is where we have to, have to get into that mindset. I got to say no to this and I got to say yes to this. I got to let the old person be gone. I got to move into this new thing. Those days are the days we really need more faith than the mountaintop experiences. 
It's easy to believe God when everything is just awesome. There you go. And when there's 98 miles to go, (laughs) it's when you need faith. (laughs) I mean, that first mile is easy. But the 98 miles is when it gets really hard. You may never see a burning bush in your lifetime. You will probably not slay a Goliath in your lifetime. You probably will not bring fire from heaven in your lifetime. But something supernatural happened in your life. Something mind-blowing. When Jesus was crucified, those of you who have put your faith in him, you were crucified with him. And not only were you crucified, you were resurrected with him. And now it's time to work it out. Walk it out on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. This is where we need the gift of faith. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would help us to to see that it's possible for change to happen in our lives. It's possible for you to do a new work in us. Lord, help us to see that by faith we we can walk this out. We can be more loving people. We can be more forgiving people. We can be more generous. We can, we can become a new creation. So I want to ask you, while you're, while you're praying tonight, while, while you're right there this morning and you're, you're talking to God, I want to ask you to do this. Would you simply pray? God's Spirit is here with us. God's Holy Spirit is among us. Lord, I, would you give me the faith to walk this out? to be this new person that you already say I am. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.